Hello, Masters in the Making. I'm your host, Mike Miller, and I want to welcome you to Simple Self Mastery. Simple Self Mastery is a self-help podcast dedicated to giving you the best in health, wealth, love, happiness, and a little peace of mind five days a week. I'm excited and honored to introduce our guest today, Toph Evans. Toph Evans is the author of Everyone Has a Plan Until Shit Hits the Fan, the practical resilience bible to get you out of crisis. The achievements he's made in his endurance career has not only shaped his character, but has saved his life, literally. Toph, I've given our listeners a peek at who you are and what you do, but is there anything you want to add to spice up that intro? No, I think you you just nailed that. Right on, man. I'm happy to have you on the show today. Yeah, I appreciated it. So, Toph, you know, a, you've have an you've had an endurance career. You're really into resilience. Tell me a little bit more about that. That whole resilience. How did you get started in in finding your path in that? Yeah, um, for me, I there was a time in my life where I had none. Literally, like I struggled really badly with mental health at one stage. I didn't think I was going to come out alive. And it gives me even goosebumps to say that um, because I really struggled with it. I didn't think I was going to find light at the end of the tunnel. And there was something that, like a pivotal moment that made me flick that switch. And I said to myself, I don't ever want to be like this ever again. Let's make this my priority, really. And I did it like through a few things. But I've gotten to a point in my life where my resilience is fine. Like you can put me amidst the chaos and I'll probably embrace it, like, I feel like I'm constantly putting out fires, but I'm not, it doesn't destroy me anymore. It's like, I know I'm going to grow from it. And I got to a point where I'm fine, but a lot of people are lacking a lot of resilience and I'm not belittling anyone that I'm here for them to make them mentally stronger. Sure. And so for you, like, when was the moment where that like switch flipped where you kind of realized, you know, I can grow from this and kind of change that that kind of view on it because a lot of times we feel overwhelmed and we get hit with those crises and it's like, Oh no, like what do we do now? And we kind of mm. get into these disempowered states. But for you, when did you kind of realize, you know, I can actually grow from this? Yeah. Um, it wasn't, it took me ages to actually for the penny to had dropped, but it wasn't until when I was doing a lot of endurance events in one year to raise money for, um, specific causes that I thought, if I can do this, surely I can overcome any of this stuff because like like any mental battles because a lot of endurance racing is essentially like pushing the mind to the next level and I've just adopted what I've learned in the endurance field to apply it in life because I realize when you run for like 24 hours at a time and that's not to boast about the things I've done but it's when you put yourself in like through that much um, mental capacity, you realize what are actually problems in life. You realize that a lot of the stuff I was complaining about, first world problems, it gets to a point where you, when someone even cuts you off in traffic, that you, you're a lot more empathetical for them because you, you look in their shoes and you start to think maybe they're late to see their wife or maybe they're late for the hospital or maybe something happened to their family that you come a little bit more empathetical and you come from a whole new perspective to say maybe I was a little bit egocentric and it's not just me that goes through stress in life. And it wasn't, it was, I think I got out of that egocentric paradigm um, by putting myself through adversity. And I do it every day. And it, like adversity can be, when you simulate your own adversity, it gets to a point that you make it habitual. So like you're rewiring your pathway. So that fear, 
you can't be entirely fearless, but you can fear less by making it a habit, by making it like when you drive to work and you can't remember driving there, you literally made that a habit to the point you could do it with your eyes closed. Right. So why can't why can't you do that with fearful things? So you're not riddled by fear when you come across it. Yeah, and like yeah. you like putting yourself through adversity can be anything. Like you don't have to swim with sharks as much as I want to actually do that. <laughs> um, and you don't have to go bungee jumping, but that's a good way. Um, it's something as little as having a cold shower. I love having cold showers. Um, I never did at first to the point where if you need to ask a girl on a date and just being able to handle rejection, um, there are so many, there are so many ways. Like, you know what, if you're scared to take up that, that, that class, that capoeira class, something random like that, just do it. What's the worst that can happen? And you you start small that the fear isn't that bad. I love that. You know, it's funny you mentioned those two things, uh, the cold, uh, showers and like talking to uh you know girls or whatever it might be you know i do cold showers daily as well um mm-hmm. i kind of got into the wim hof method of oh, i love uh, him i met him last year actually he's a really charismatic guy let's oh, just say yeah. that yeah i mean you could tell for you could tell his energy from his videos and his instagram and stuff like that but like what he teaches is so profound and when you put it into practice like killer killer yeah but what i love that you mentioned is kind of like making it a habitual thing is like putting yourself stimulating your own fear and essentially it's kind of like you see the fear and you push through it and you ignore the excuses and it's kind of like building a muscle and for all of our listeners mm-hmm. masters in the making listening it's kind of the more you use it the more fear you kind of push through the, the stronger you get and those that those things that were once uncomfortable now become the norm and you kind of level up in your own way and that's what i i love that you mentioned that and so what's one thing maybe one of our listeners, like our listeners can do to kind of help push themselves uh, through adversity and uh, achieve success? Yeah, before I continue on, like where you can have a six-pack body, you can also have a six-pack mind. Just remember that. And I think so many people are so fixated on having six-pack bodies because um, it looks yeah. good for the gram and as they say. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, you can do the same thing with the mental habits. And there's a few things I do. Like what you want to do is you want to start very small. You want to start so small that it does take about 66 days to rewire a neural pathway and neural habits are that by the six, by the time it's ingrained as a habit, now you can get insatiably curious. And that's what I do with everything. And I like to test a lot of stuff. Like when there's 7.6 billion people in the world, not one of us think the same. Um, like we have certain tendencies that do the same and we all have different bodies. So, Every style is different. So like everyone's different and it's always worth testing new things to the point where you double down on what works. And something for me, like I always go, like one of the chapters in my book is mind hacks. And like one is literally what's the worst that can happen. Um, If you simulate that, it puts you, it teaches you perspective. Like it gives you a paradigm shift. Like when we think negative, we think worst case scenario. It's just how humans work. Right. It's like that clever ancestral brain, that clever reptilian brain that goes back from thousands of years ago that tells you, no, don't do that. And I remember, now don't do one of these, but I did a double marathon on a stand-up paddleboard last year with a friend. And that was for youth adversity. And what we were trying to teach the kids, for any kid that has gone through any adversity themselves, whether you've gone through, and this is for anyone that's an adult that you when they're youthful days, they went through this where you went through like a parent's divorce or a 
a child abuse that no one knows about, or if you're bullied. I remember I was bullied for a bit. Um, when you go through final exams, that's scary. When you go through first relationships, puberty, whatever the situation may be, we're trying to teach these kids that to have resilience in life, you need to have grit, and because resilience is a proponent to good mental health. That's why I have a lot of respect for people in the military. I have a lot of respect for the Navy SEALs because it's just they they've disciplined themselves. And I remember the board sponsor for this paddleboard event. They said to they said you can train with us if you want. And I thought, wow, that's so nice of them. And I've got three weeks to this event, <laughs> and the, I've got a 50 miler on a paddleboard, and I've never done more than six miles. And I thought this is going to be interesting. All right. As long as I can, all I was thinking was, I just need to make sure I can stay on the board for that long and just get the the technique right. And I'm driving to training, and I thought, I'm thinking the people I'm training with are some of Australia's best paddleboarders. They they go travel around the world. They win a lot of championships, and they're some of the best. Like that's their job. And it's like I'm thinking, I haven't done what what the hell? I'm training with these people. What the hell are they going to think of me? And like fight or flight's freaking out. And I'm in the middle of the highway driving. On a Monday morning, this is like three Mondays in a row, driving to training on a Monday morning, and I just want to turn the car around on the highway. And it's like, and I instantly go, what's the worst that can happen? And I go, well, I don't have to go to war. I don't have to uh, get soda or anything. It's only an hour. And what happens is we realize that we're too busy comparing ourselves to everyone, right? At the end of the day, like, I can't compare myself myself with them I'm doing this for a charity project. They're doing this to win championships. The training's probably going to be different. The guy, the, the coach might put us in different one side of the river and he might put on the other side. Right. And it's like, it's only an hour. And who cares if they laugh at me because we can't compare because there was a time when they were a beginner. And it was, we seem like I made it a lot worse. At first, I made it a lot worse than what it was. That when I finished it, I go, oh, that wasn't that bad. That, that was the hardest thing I could have done that day. Now, the rest of my day was easy, and I had meetings back to back to back to back, like some big meetings that they, they were easy because that, well, there was once upon a time that meetings were hard for me. Now, it's not that bad because I made it habitual to get used to. You understand why the importance of meetings, you understand as long as long as you're not wasting time. But sure. for me, it was literally simulating what's the worst that could happen and using perspective to get me out of it. And I've realized like a lot of my struggles, I was too busy comparing myself. Like... For example, you and I can't compare myself, can't compare each other because the circumstances were different from the start. So we have different parents born in different parts of the world, different eras. They're going to be different at the end. So instead of competing with each other, why don't we collaborate and emulate? Like we can emulate certain traits. We can come, um, we can collaborate on certain things, but we can't compete because it's me versus me. It's you versus you. Right. It's anyone. It's, it's just – that's the thing. If ever if everyone looked at why don't I try to be the best version of myself, it's okay to not be okay. I can I can attest to that because there are days, even myself that's in the resilience field, I will go through some tough times. But I always go, it's she'll be right. Like oh it'll it'll be okay because this is where I grow from it. And there's always it's very cyclical. You always go through this stuff and you go, you actually when you come out of it, you go I'm actually grateful I went through that. And that's like the feeling like the best. The best way to kind of correlate with that is when you run a marathon or any sort of distance, like a half marathon or even a 100-miler. You, The ones, the races you remember are the ones where you have to dig deepest no matter what distance or what level you're at. And when you dig deep and when you finish that, you go, I can't believe I did that. 
but I'm actually grateful I went through that because I've learned a lot about myself. Hell yeah. Yeah, and I love that. Masters in the making, it's you versus you, and you have to sometimes dig deep to find out what you're truly capable of, and uh, I love that you share that, Toph. And so for you, how do you go about, you know, you learned all these lessons and you've faced all this resilience through your endurance career, doing all these runs and all these different types of competitions, but how do you go about teaching resilience to others? Like what's, what's the first step for you to do that? Yeah, I have a framework known as practical resilience. So practical resilience is the framework to get you out of a, out of a rut or to help you grow to new heights. Because when you get called crazy nine times out of 10, it's like, I'm no different from everyone else listening or anyone I meet up with because we're all made up of carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, and water. The same four elements as what everyone else is made up of. So it's like, I'm also a human being. I'm just obsessed and curious. <laughs> that's the reason why people sure. call me crazy. Because <laughs> that's the difference between, like Brandon Bouchard says it best, the, the difference between passion and obsession is when people think you're crazy. And I use this framework called practical resilience. It's like a, it's a Venn diagram. And the first circle is adversity. And you need adversity because it helps you grow. But once we realize that when we're going through stress, we think we have it worse than everyone else. It's just we kind of fixate on it. But we it's not until we realize that all the greats have ever lived came from a trajectory of pain. I can net everyone that has ever lived. Like Elon Musk, for example. Right. He, st- like growing his businesses, like he's been rejected so many times. There was a point where he was going through high anxiety because he's so like he may have taken off biting off more than what he can chew, but he's going to die. One of the most like iconic people in the world. Um, you've got Michael, Michael Phelps. who went through depression after his fourth Olympics. You've got, you've got Oprah who was like sexually abused growing up. You've got all these people. They came from a, like Eminem. He went through years of family turmoil. Sure. Everyone came through some trajectory pain. So this is the framework. When you truly understand the framework, then we can build off on it. Then once you realize it's okay to not be okay and you use that as baseline to grow up, you got to flick that switch off. But when you realize there is hope from that, that, okay, if the greats went from pain, then like what can't, what makes you think you can't be a great too? Because they're also human beings. They're also made up of the same elements. We go through, we start to fix our mindset. It does put you a killer-driven mindset that you start to rewind your pathways and you start to have this six-pack mind that I was ex- explaining before. This is when you start to change habits and you, we can reevaluate. Like when I work with people, like consulting on a like one-on-one or a more engaging level, we'll try and figure out the exact areas we want to fix. And because time is our most valuable commodity, we want to fast track it. Like you can't go backwards in time. There's no time. There's no point fixating on the stuff we could have like the what if, what if. Let's just focus on fa- like like on the book tour I'm on right now. I was looking for things that I was like secretly looking for things that were going to fail on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So when I do the next one, I can work on that. Like too many of us are so. F- are so fixated on the past than the path. And if we if we look at things like foreseen hindsight and you look at failure instead of a negative connotation, if you look at it as like an experiment that didn't go to plan, like when we were doing science at school, think of like when you conduct, you first of all, you conduct the experiment, you hypothesize, so you, hypothetically, I believe this is, this is what's going to happen, then you test it and it's like, damn, the beacon was meant to turn purple, not green. So something happened and then you try again and you try again and you try again. Every Nobel Peace Prize laureate would have done this when like Einstein doing energy mass equivalents or equals MC squared 
or Donald Hebb when he did Hebb's Law, they wouldn't have got it the first go. And you just test and test and test, and you end up rewiring your pathways so that you start to – but you get, a, you get a little obsessed with it, and you need obsession because in a field full of black and white cows, you've got to be a purple cow <laughs> in whatever respective field you're in. Sure. And I can't take credit for that because Seth Godin has a book called Purple Cow, which I highly <laughs> admire, and, he, and it's, that's how you differentiate from everyone else. So it's actually probably better to not be normal. That's how you stand out. That's your USP if you're using business sense to the point where you're getting obsessed with things that people start seeking you for advice and because you're the top person in that field. And when people start seeking for your advice, that gives you a bit of worth and that is the opposite of depression. Depression is a state of worthlessness. And this is when you start going, I can give back to these people and that's gratitude, right? You, you realize, hmm, there is... Look how far I've come. I came from adversity and it put me in the right mindset to help others that I started rewiring your pathways. I became disciplined with that. Now I'm getting kind of good at it that I kind of want to give back because you realize that serving for others is very purposeful. Literally, that's how you Absolutely. get purpose. You serve for others. That It teaches you perspective that I don't have it that bad at the end of the day. I came from nothing. Well, I started from humble beginnings and you always have to be humble. That... At the end of the day, you, you want to go back through adversity. If that's, you know, some people are like, damn it, I hope you weren't going to say that. But it's cyclical. Yeah. It's, you, to, and if you bottle up adversity, it's kind of come back like a tidal wave. And I can attest to that because it happened to me. Like I've imploded several times. And that was not being vulnerable enough. And like this is st- mental health is so stigmatized these days that, you know what, if someone that's listening here and they need someone to talk to, reach out to me. I'm more than happy to listen to you to help to help get that burden off your chest. Now you've got a little bit more clarity because you've kind of decluttered the mind with things that are like termites that Russ wouldn't appreciate. Now that you've got all that out of you, now we can kind of build the resilience back in so you have a little bit more emotional intelligence. So when shit hits a fan, you're kind of embracing it as opposed to looking as it like as a chore. Sure. And so, so when you mentioned kind of imploding and like how – some of us, we face really difficult times. And I, mm. inevitably on your path to discovery, you ran into success but also failure. So for you, what was the one biggest challenge you faced on your journey in resilience? That's a very good question. That's a very thought-provoking question, I should say. <laughs> so the biggest one, it's always like even like the top-end coaches, like Tony Robbins, for example, right. he needs a coach for himself, right? And when you're that guy that's there for people, you also need to be making sure you practice what you preach. So for me, I make sure now that I have people on my team, trusted people in my inner circle that I can be vulnerable with. Sometimes you bottle up so much yourself, and I've learned to do that before it's imploding. So the point of practical resilience is also to so you plan in advance of crisis because sometimes we see the psychologist when it's too late. We do something about our funds when it's too late. We do something about our weight when it's too late. I'm a victim of all three of those. Um, but for me, it's now, it's like, I got to make sure I practice what I preach. So I make sure I have that very trusted team around me. Um, because you can do anything, but you can't do everything. People always, there are a lot of people that go, dude, you're doing so well, or they're going, you're so lucky. And it's like, well, first of all, there's a lot of hard work that goes into this. There's a lot of dark days that have been in this, but I, it's not just me. I have a whole team behind me. I just happen to be the face behind it all. I have a whole engine room that helped me get from plan A to plan B as, as smoothly as possible, even though half the day, as it doesn't, it's not entirely smooth. 
there's sure, things sure. even for your, even for yourself with the podcast. Absolutely, there have been so many times where you're like, "Oh my god, what the hell's happening?" But for me, it's making sure I have a whole team behind me because sometimes I always like to. You tend to bite off more than what you can chew, so you just keep chewing. But sometimes that can lead to burnout, oh, yes. and you're not you're not focusing on big picture stuff because you're doing all the little things. So that's availability misweighing a cognitive bias that we're focusing on the minor than the major. When you're at the supermarket, the psychology behind of putting junk food at eye level because it's easy to grab. And sometimes we grab whatever's too easy in front of us that we need to instead of think short term, think long term. So make sure you have the team behind you because there's going to be times when you can't you can't do everything. So yeah, you can delegate, and that's essentially what I'm saying. But so I don't. So I still stay in in check and attuned with everything that I'm teaching and that I'm doing. Um, I got to be sure, make sure I'm 100 percent every time. Right, right, yeah, and you know I can definitely relate to that. You know, there's been times where I'm like. I want to do everything because I want it done a certain way and I have a certain vision for how things should be. But mm. like you mentioned, it's kind of like having that engine room behind you to back you up and make sure everything is running smoothly. So for people listening who may not have that team yet, what's one thing they can do to get that crew behind them and like kind of surround themselves with good people to help keep those engines running smoothly? Yeah, sure. There's, there is no one way. There's no right or wrong. But I'm I'm actually like evaluating what I did. You know, giving back comes back when you least expect it. So when you when you do when you focus on giving, there's gonna be people that look at your stuff and going, Hey dude, can I be a part of what you do? Or another way I did was collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. When you when you fo- when you reverse engineer everything and you go, This is what I want to be remembered for, or this is what I want my eulogy to kinda kinda say. There's no law of physics that says you can't write you to reverse engineer like that way, that you figure out what your values are. And then you also see the brands that you want to collaborate with because they have similar values. Um, that's what makes a good collaboration, a good partnership, a good marriage. Um, it doesn't matter who's opposite, who's introverted, who's extroverted, who's black, who's white, none of that. As long as the values are right from the start. And when you collaborate with the same like minds, it may lead into going, I want to work with you more often. Can I hire you or can I work on your team or whatever the situation may be? So that's how you find those right people because you, as long as they have the same values as you, I think that's, in my opinion, that's all that matters because that's what I've seen has worked really well because no one's stepping on each other's toes. You want whatever reason it is, mine's always for impact. Not like I, so I know not to collaborate with, with like McDonald's. Now nothing against McDonald's; they're done right. very well. But their brand isn't aligned with mine, so I know not to work with them. And yeah, you, so yeah. collaboration has always been something that's worked, that's led into more opportunity. And it's always giving back because then people go, "Oh, I like working with someone like that," because they see, they look at themselves with their brand association, association with them. Like, I want to be a part of that because it's something I look forward to work, doing, and being with every day. Right, right. And masters, masters in the making, this is such an important message is look for what values you have, but also what you want in other, like what you see in others. And those values kind of come together and they attract each other. And I don't believe anything's coincidence. Everything happens for a reason. And it's the energy mm-hmm. we put out comes back to us. And like you're saying, Tov, it's just giving back will come back. And it's just about kind of align yourself with the right values. So I love that you mentioned that. And 
I want to backtrack for just a second here. And as you're mm-hmm. saying that, I was thinking about what we talked about earlier with the purple cow. And so for mm-hmm. you, what have you done to make yourself stand out in your own field that makes yourself, you know, to make yourself the purple cow in this situation? Yeah, for sure, dude. Um, so as a keynote speaker, as like a like a professional keynote speaker, I get paid to speak, which is I'm so grateful I'm at this point because I, I hated public speaking at school. Um, but then I focus on who can I impact. But essentially, as a resilient speaker, how the hell am I going to differentiate from every other resilient speaker? Because essentially, anyone that has overcome anything is a resilient speaker, whether that is overcoming cancer or um, breaking world records or an athlete or rags to riches, whatever it is. Um, I think, how am I going to differentiate in the resilience world? And for me, it's I teach practical resilience. And how I, because I I literally coined the term, and now that it's becoming in demand, I have my own competition. But the thing is, like, if people are also resilient speakers and they want to team up, I just look at it like we're just trying to solve the problems at the same time as quick as possible. So I'm always looking at collaborating, even with other resilience fields, anyone in the resilience field. But for me, it's coming up, it's teaching practical resilience, a term that I've coined myself. So it's even creating your own competition because if the opportunity is not there, create it yourself. There's no law of physics that says I can't do this because if it's working, which I, I know it is because I get a lot of messages of going, thank you, I don't feel alone, this is helping me, this has been a paradigm shift, that means I'm doing something right there. Um, and that's always been something. If the opportunity is not there, create it yourself. Another one, and it's just doing everything unconventionally. I think unconventionalism is key. I'm, I know I'm not normal, and I don't think it's it's right to be normal because normal, in my opinion, means average and mediocre. You have to be different. Like everyone's like, look at Mandela. Mandela was in prison for 27 years protesting his rights, but his character was like he was the most iconic, not iconic presidents in the world, but one of the most iconic people to ever stand out. Right. And so, yeah, absolutely. And I love that. Embrace the difference, yeah. If there's no opportunity there, create it yourself. And it's a, such an important thing to keep in mind. And so, Toph, you know, we're approaching home plate here. Are you ready for the moment of mastery where you can share tips, resources, and insights directly to our listeners? Yeah, 100%. All right, let's do it. So what is one simple mindset shift our listeners can apply to how they think about resilience? Yeah, sure. So... M- I'm going to probably go back to the six pack mind one. Go for it. Where, especially like, I've noticed like a lot of places in the world where sometimes we're so focused on looking good. Like, I know people that are well sculptured bodies, and but they're obese in the mind. And the thing is, like, they're, they're eating the right foods, but they're not eating, they're not consuming the right things. So you are what you consume. That is the people you hang around with, that is the food you eat. That is the media use the media sources you consume. So, like one thing I learned to do was, I stopped. I literally don't really watch much TV these days, and I started reading like a like a mofo. Like I would, I must have bought a few years back. I must have bought like six, seven thousand dollars worth of books, and I would have three or four sent to me every week. And that's not to like to like brag or anything, but I just I was so hungry to win that. I think Will Smith said it best. He's like, you got to love to read. Like learn at least because when there's 
almost like 130 million books published. Like, and these books are from so wise, like some of the most wisest people in the world that have ever lived. They become like virtual mentors and you don't have to read the entire book. You just have to get, your job is to just get the gold nugget out and, and get out. But when you realize that we, our minds can only hold so much, that means things have got to give. But if you want to be the best version of yourself and you want to scale as a person, then it's a matter of letting go of those things that are holding you back and embracing that that shit so that people want to seek you for advice and you have more worth and more opportunity comes out of it and you're not complaining about there's so much a lot of people I know fixated on is it Friday or is it the weekend? Sure. You're not gonna be saying that you're not gonna be saying that on the deathbed. I put all my money on it. You know, I wish I didn't waste all those Mondays. So make it so that you don't know what day it is. I have no I don't I don't even know what day it is right now. I kinda of have to I have to go off dates because I have to go off something. Yeah, yeah. Um so it's a matter of making now I'm not saying big and know it all, but it's it's making it so you can you're more attuned to hang on one second, I was about to cough. Um you're more intentional you're more attuned to your emotional intelligence by really trading the mind. And that's something I've always learned to do. I love that. And it's kind of like feeding your mind with the right things in order to get that yeah. six pack mind, as you mentioned, which is a, a phrase I'll have to use in the future going forward. And so this is a good segue um, into my next question is what is one book you can recommend and why? Oh, that's a really thought provoking question. Yeah. Cause I'm sure there's, <laughs> there's tons of them. Um, that, that's a great one. That's a really good question. Um, what's the one book I always go back to and keep reading? Give me one second. Yeah, um, I'm a you. big fan of – now, this is very philosophical because the whole book is about philosophy, but the story of philosophy, that's what it's called, and it's written by Will Durant, and it's a great morning read. It's like the book's quite thick, but you don't have to read the entire thing, and he has um, he has like written pieces about every great philosopher that's ever lived, all the way back from Socrates to Plato – to Immanuel Kant, to uh, Francis Bacon, and it's like all the stuff that's said in there is heavily applied to what you can do today. And this is like thousands of some of the some of the writings in there are like thousands of years old, and it's still applicable to today. Very ph philosophical kind of stuff. Now, some things you might not resonate with, there's some things you will resonate with. It's like me being on this podcast. Not one person thinks the same. So, so there'll be something that people are like, oh, I agree with that, but I don't agree with that. That's fine because my philosophy in life is an amalgamation of philosophies of what works sure. and what doesn't work for myself. So that's why I like with the book as well. I said just don't be like you learn to respect other people's opinions because you realize that not everyone has the same value set. And it's like with this book, The Story of Human – The Story of Philosophy or Story of Human Philosophy. I think it's The Story of Philosophy by Will Durant. And it's like taking out those bit of nuggets but applying it to everyday's life because these are some of the most heroic – amazing people that have ever lived. Yes, they would have done things in their life they'd probably regret, but that's just human. Right. And it's a matter of applying it to our lives and testing it and information in, in use becomes knowledge and you apply it enough time that becomes wisdom to pass down. Awesome. Well, let's check that one out. And finally, Toph, where's the best place our listeners can go to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah, Sure. I would have to say probably my site because my site like leads into everything yeah. else. So my site as T O F E 
dash or hyphen Evans, E-V-A-N-S dot com. And everything leads in that. So it's got all my social handles in there. Um, I've got, it's like I'm, I'm a bit of a blogger, so I blog a lot in there. It's where if anyone wants to hire me as a speaker, all the speaking stuff's in there. And it's also got about the book and everything else that I've got in the works. And I'm launching a few things this year too, so I haven't announced them on there, but awesome. um, that's where the main the main hub or where you can find everything of me. Fantastic. Thank you, Toph. Masters in the making. Go check out simpleselfmastery.com. Type Toph in the search. It'll show you over the show notes page of today's podcast for links, resources, timestamps, and an overview of what Toph and I discussed today. Toph, thanks for spending some time with us and sharing your journey. You mastered the mic and shared a ton of value. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. Mate, thank you for having me. I really appreciate uh, you asking me to be on the show. I really do appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's episode of Simple Self Mastery, please show your support by subscribing, leave a five-star rating, and a review. It is my honor and privilege to provide you with high-value, free content five days a week, and I'd be humbled by your support. Keep learning, keep listening, and keep working towards your own personal self-mastery. Thanks, and we'll catch you later.